Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant? If you went to vacation Bible school as much as I did back in the day, you may have made a replica of that sacred object. Popsicle sticks or something. You might have made two or three. The Ark was also called the Ark of God and sometimes the Ark of Testimony. It held the stone tablets in which the Ten Commandments were written and other special objects. Maybe Aaron's rod that he struck the water with. What was special about the Ark is that it was a direct manifestation of God's presence for the people of Israel. When the children of Israel were going through the desert, you remember the ark went first. They carried the ark with them when they circled the walls of Jericho seven times and the walls came tumbling down, as the song said. When the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem about 587 B.C., they may have captured the ark or it may have been hidden again, but not as imagined in that movie, Indiana Jones, you remember? The last verse of the 11th chapter of Revelation says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Well, except for that earthquake, that sounds kind of like last week here, right? <laughs> well, let's get to today's story. First Samuel 7 tells how the ark of the covenant was brought to the house of Abinadab on the hill. Abinadab's son, Eleazar, was put in charge of the ark. A long time passed. It was kind of on the shelf until the events in our first scripture reading, which tells the story of how the ark of the covenant was brought to Jerusalem, city of David, when it was the first established as the capital. <coughs> and it was brought with great celebration and some dancing that was not approved of by everybody, as you'll hear. So listen now for God's word for us in Second Samuel, six chapter. We'll do the first five verses and then skip over to some others. Dave, and by the way, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, sometimes one version or another is a little easier to follow, or it's more current language. But the ESV is an interesting version. David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were uh, with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord of hosts who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. They had rhythm. Okay, we'll skip on down to the 12th verse. And it was told King David, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal 
And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Maybe a French horn, Dylan. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Not everybody likes a celebration. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent. David had pitched for it, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his own house. Now, our second scripture reading today is Psalm 24. I tell you, every time our family goes north on St. Mary Street towards Lester Mill Road, one of us will express some pity for the folks in a pretty little house on a dramatic hill. You see, somebody bought one house or two or three. They tore them down, and they built a huge home, one big enough to house every single member of Berea Presbyterian Church, and the married ones, too. <laughs> that house has almost 10,000 square feet. Now, the pretty little house was just so overshadowed by the big house, and that's why we had pity for him. Well, I say was because we rode by there just the other day. And guess what? The little house has been torn down and the one next to it too. But that being overshadowed by something so much bigger, that's kind of the way it is with the 24th Psalm. The 23rd Psalm is so significant, so meaningful to so many. Well, we even have murals about it that many of us never really paid that much attention to the neighbors in the book of Psalms, but today we will. The 24th Psalm has questions and responses in a form that suggests it was the kind of Psalm used in a processional, like the one we just read about in 2 Samuel. Now remember, the Psalms are the words, the voice of human beings, people like you and me, speaking to God. So listen now for God's word for us in the 24th Psalm. The earth is Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts who do not lift up their souls to what is false and do not swear deceitfully those will they will receive blessing from the lord and vindication from the god of the salvation such as the company of those who seek him who seek the face of god of jacob lift up your heads o gates and be lifted up o ancient doors that the king of glory may come in who is the king of glory 
the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift your, your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who do you belong to? Whose are you? Each and every time that I'm called on to conduct a funeral, I begin by answering that whose question. I quote the opening sentence in our denomination's brief statement of faith. In life and in death, we belong to God. Now, Psalm 24 can be considered in three parts, but all three say something about the sovereignty of Almighty God. The 89th Psalm speaks of God's sovereignty, saying, who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God feared in the counsel of the holy ones, great and awesome above all that are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you, O Lord, your faithfulness surrounds you. You, are, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Now the first and second verse, the first two verses of Psalm 24 answer a basic question. Who owns the world? Well, God does. And why? Because God made it. Remember what Genesis tells us in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. From chaos, you see, from chaos, God created order out of formless, unstable chaos. The world exists because the Lord is and remains sovereign in charge. Professor Shirley Guthrie writes that for today's Christians, the word of those two verses of Psalm 24 come first of all really as a warning. The land and water, fish, birds, and animals of our planet with the air above it do not belong to us to use and misuse as we please. They belong to God. They're God's property. We human beings are not the lords and masters of the world. We, along with the natural environment upon which we depend for life, for breath, for health, all of us are creatures who belong to God. So the first two verses confess that God owns the world and all that is in it. Then the second part of Psalm 24, verses 3 through 6, tells who is making this confession of faith. Those who seek God's presence. This is done in the form of an instruction that comes with a question, an answer, a promise, and a confirmation. Let's break it down. Here's the question. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? What this psalm calls the hill of the Lord is Mount Zion. It's the location in Jerusalem, of the temple. Well, here's the answer to their question. Those who have clean hands 
and pure hearts who don't lift up their souls to what's false and swear deceitfully. Now this just in clean and unclean in terms of all those ritual rules back in the book of Leviticus like you were unclean if you touched the skin of a dead pig. Footballs, by the way, are not made of pigskin after all. <laughs> just saying. These are, these are really ethical uh, terms that have to do with character. They're about being faithful to God, faithful to neighbor. I mentioned the Psalm scholar that Betty and I met in the mountains years ago, uh, Jim Mays. He says that this is the description of a life disciplined by, the con by that confession that the Lord is owner of all, including self and neighbor, and oriented toward the coming King of glory. By the way, this is the one and only time that the Old Testament describes God as king of glory. Those who have, for the people who've got clean hands and pure hearts, who don't lift up their souls to what's false and don't swear deceitfully, here's the promise. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from the God of salvation. As the 73rd Psalm says, truly God is good to the upright, to those who are pure in heart. You remember what Jesus said about the pure in heart? In the Sermon on the Mount, he promised, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So we had a question, an answer, a promise, and here's the confirmation. Such is the company of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Then the last four verses identify the Lord of glory and they make up the third part of this psalm. These are the verses that Handel made famous in his Oratorio Messiah and Betty will play that for us in the postlude. Sing along if you like. The, uh, this section of the psalm starts with a demand. Lift up your heads, O your gates, and be lift up, you ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. And then the next verse asks and answers a question. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Then the demand, the question, and the answer are repeated, repeated in order to emphasize and to elaborate. Lift up your heads, O gates, be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. In Psalm 89, you can read a description of the king of glory whose reign features justice, steadfast love, faithfulness. So in response to God's justice, steadfast love, faithfulness, how then shall we live? How can we live a life that is faithful to God and faithful in how we relate to God's children. Well, Jesus told us, you remember when he was being quizzed by the Pharisees and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. 
So here's the gospel truth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. As the apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Romans, we do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Our comfort, our assurance, our hope is this. In life and in death, we belong to God. Thanks be to God.